1: Hello and welcome to the McClifford podcast with the Irish Examiner.
0: Morris McCabe, how are you getting on? I'm getting on great, Mick, and yourself?
1: Not too bad at all. And uh, the lockdown, Morris, how's it been treating you?
0: Ah, it's all right, Mick, but I mean, imagine at Christmas everything was going well and the country was going well and next thing two months later, bang, you know?
1: It's fairly a wallop for the whole country, the whole world, really, when you think about it.
0: I think the only way to, um, to fix it is to stay at home. I really do.
1: And so even though with the, there's been loosening of some of the restrictions this week, Morris, you're, you're, you're not taking too many chances with it?
0: No, I'm not taking any chances, Mick, at all. Not really, no, no.
1: And you've been at home all the time and you've, you've had all kids yourself. Was everyone home for the, the lockdown, so to speak?
0: All seven of us, Mick, yeah, are here at the house. And all and we do it, is shopping, you know, for groceries. And that's really it. Have you driven them crazy yet? No, we're okay so far, anyway. But I suppose at Christmas, when the whole thing is over, hopefully, or it'll be near over, at least we'll be happy to say I've done me bit, you know.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. And Mars, you were um, before this came upon us and all. You were doing a bit of work yourself, um, as as people will know. You you resigned from the guards. You retired from the guards once you were finished with the tribunals and all that stuff. You were doing a bit of um, courier work. You were kind of setting out on, on a very different career there.
0: Yeah, Mick, because, look, at I could get a job in insurance or office jobs, but it didn't suit me anymore. I, you know, I just couldn't handle that. So I like driving and I always like driving. And I set up a transport company of off my own. I have, I have my own van. I, I work three days a week. Now, I, have, I, I haven't worked since since all this happened, you know, with the lockdown. I don't want to work. it, But um, I like it, Mick. I do like it. And would it take you all over the country? It does, yeah. It's not from door to door. It's... Um, it's pallid say, I'm going to Galway maybe on one day, a cork the next day, a the next day. Long journeys, but I'm happy.
1: And tell me, in in that line of work and meeting people all over the place and in light of the fact that I think it's fair to say your, your face would be well known around the country, have, have you come across that a lot that people looked at you and say, are you Maurice McCabe?
0: I have, Mick, all the time. And then I have to explain to them that it's my van. I'm not working for anyone. I'm working for myself. But yeah, I do. Now at times, Mick, I might wear a hat and glasses because there's times that I don't really want to recognise, but they do recognise me. Yeah, <laughs> you would wear the hat and glasses in disguise. Sometimes, yeah, Mick, I, I would do that. But um, they do talk to me, and they all say it was great. You know, of what I did, and just for the country.
1: Ah, oh, good stuff. Yeah, it's 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 nice. Um, it's nice to get that kind of reaction. I suppose once 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 it isn't overboard. That's uh, so, not no. Oh, good, good. Morris, the thing that just strikes me, um, do you wonder at all there over the last few months in terms of you were so long in the guard it was something you wanted to do since you were a kid. Um, I, it's been a tough enough time for the guards, the nature of what they have to do. Did you ever wonder about that, what it would have been like if you were still in there during this period?
0: Yeah, I did, Mick. I did, yeah. And, you know, in fairness, the guards, I think, are brilliant. I will be doing the exact same as the guards are doing. You know, like... At the time of the BSE make and um, and the mad cow disease, it it was the guards that kept all those diseases out of the country. And it's the guards at the moment in relation to checkpoints and checking people; they are slowing the virus.
1: And it's a tough job there at the time. I mean, both in terms of they'd have to um, show discretion in a lot of ways. And you know, if somebody tells them, for instance, like in my own situation, number of occasions I went down to see my mother in. Cork and like, you know, a guard could come across and he, he could reckon I'm pulling his leg or whatever. So it's, it's a tough situation like that. And on a more serious note, the whole idea that they're effectively on the front line, they're dealing with so many of the public, the chances of getting infection are far greater than there are for the average
0: person. Yeah, it absolutely. Be. You know, they're on the front line. It's not just the checkpoints. I mean, if they're involved in public order or assault, you know, they are high risk. But they're all doing their job, Mick. I think, and doing it well.
1: I think so. I think. I think in general, you you see some instances. But in general, I think there's there's been very great reaction to the way that they've um, they've managed it. Because you you were you were in for the latter years of your career, Morris. You were in, in traffic, weren't you? when you were based in Mullingar.
0: I was, Mick. Yes. So if I was still there at the moment, I'd be doing the exact same as what the guards are doing on the ground.
1: You'd be out. You'd be out on the road a lot. And
0: mm. do you miss it at all? Hmm... I really don't. 95% of me doesn't miss it, no. You know, I like work, but I mean, I suppose, Mick, on the final years, I was out of work on um, sick leave for about three years, so it, it was easier to go then. You know what I mean? Than like, go just now.
1: In terms of the frontline work and that, and your time, of course, was taken up with inquiries and tribunals, I suppose you'd been drifting a few years before you finally left.
0: Yes, I was. Yeah, I was. And I suppose it'd be very awkward as well if I was in the guards at the moment, you know, because people are coming up to me and saying "How are you, Morris?" and all this, so it would be awkward enough.
1: It would, but the work itself, prior to all the problems that happened, and the fact that you stood up and reported, it was something I think that you had a a, a big appetite for.
0: I loved the traffic corps. I always, always loved the traffic corps, and I liked all my time in Mullingar. I worked with a great crew, and but look at me—I was coming almost sixty and. It was going to come to an end
1: yeah it's um I suppose it is it is something that has a, a finite life now, the other thing is you have agreed, and the reason you're talking today is you have agreed to become a patron for transparency international ireland you're 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 obviously Morris, you're fairly familiar with them
0: I first came to know them in two thousand and twelve. I was at work one evening, and everything was building up, and I didn't know who to contact for help. And I googled them, and I rang them. I was talking to John Devitt then. He's he's kind of over the whole lot as well, and um, I met him, and he was great. I met him over a period of three years, and um, he'd ring me, I'd ring him, I'd meet him. But his advice was excellent, excellently, and I needed somebody. Because you go mad if you, you know, I just needed somebody just to just explain. And he knew the whole story. He'd been dealing with it for a long time. Like.
1: When you first came across, as I say, John David, John David is the CEO of Transparency International Ireland. And as you say, he's, I think he's a veteran of these um, affairs. He's done an awful lot of work in the area. But for example, Mars, when you first met him, was there a sense of relief? Was it the first time you were able to encounter somebody who had some idea of what you were going through?
0: Yes, Mick, because at the time, I had all the evidence in relation to the penalty points, right? And other, other people weren't believing me in the media and even in on Gary Shikana. And I went to him. I told him all the evidence I had and he believed me. I didn't give him any of the evidence, but he, he understood exactly where I was coming from and he believed me and he gave me advice in relation to who I should contact next, you know?
1: And from that point of view, I suppose there was a sense of relief because at least you realised you you weren't operating in the dark on your own.
0: And you know, Mick, when everyone is saying to you, no, you're wrong, you're wrong, you know, and I mean, I was right, but when people were saying, you're wrong, you're wrong, and I'd make allegations about the penalty points and say, no, you know, there's nothing here. You just need somebody, Mick. And I had nobody to turn to. Nobody. Yeah. And I was in the shopping centre one evening in Mullingar and I looked it up on my phone I found it and I rang him and I left a message for him. John me Back. You subsequently met him then? I met him in Dublin then a few weeks later after that, yeah, I did. I found him great.
1: You would have met him in a few times after that then,
0: obviously. I met, I met him a lot after that and I became friends with him as well. So I was honoured the other day when he rang me to ask me if I'd take the pitch. I mean, I couldn't believe it. You know, I said, why are you picking me? Well, he says, Maurice, you, know, you know, look what you did for us. Look, look what you did for the other people. So I was honoured. Emailed them back and I said, yes, I, I am honoured, John, to take it and I will take
1: it. Yeah, as you say, just for people who are not familiar with Transparency International, they are, I suppose in broad terms, they're termed a, an anti-corruption body. But what they do is, in the instance like yourself, Morris, as, as you say, they have a, a speak-up helpline for anybody who wants to report wrongdoing, particularly in an the organisation, their own organisation, whatever. And they also do work on the other side in that they uh, liaise with government departments and government agencies to ensure there's a system in place that if people want to speak up even internally without becoming what might be termed a whistleblower, that they make sure there's a system in place for that. And um, that's something, to be fair, Morris, that I think a lot of people would suggest that the nature of your case and all was something that you were involved in bringing to the fore?
0: I started this in 2012 um, there was no protective disclosure at all it, 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 it didn't over two years later but at least it's in now and um, in, relation to, in relation to transparency international will assist anybody who is going to them and the important wrongdoing and they'll actually um, according to John Devitt they will help them in relation to protected disclosure and how to fill it out and all that makes it free, and its legal advice is free as well. It is. It's a great service. It's a service
1: that's badly needed. And as you say, Transparency International were very much involved in lobbying for the Protected Disclosure Act, which was brought in in 2014. And in your own case, Mars, as you said, you began reporting the wrongdoing in 2012, and I think you subsequently made. A protected disclosure. Who brought that to your attention? That, that that new law, or was it something that you regarded at the time as a major help, or something that was very different there?
0: Well, make um, the allegations I made in relation to Bailey Burr, They started in two thousand and eight, hmm. but and it was investigated, kind of um, if it is low key as such. But then, at the penalty points in, in two thousand and twelve. That's when a lot of issues. On you know, the surface, then, and that's when I had to protect myself. But make no, it was only in the media, make when it it came out in two thousand and fourteen, and even the penalty points in two thousand and twelve, I couldn't make any protected disclosure because it wasn't in. But then, as soon as it came in in fourteen, in order in order to protect myself, I made a protected disclosure.
1: Of course, and as as you say, to protect yourself, that one of the one of the big issues around protected disclosure is that it has it in law that if there are attempts to uh, take revenge or take reprisal against a whistleblower, that is against the law and people can be prosecuted for it. And in terms of uh, it as well, and I think this has happened certainly in the prison service, that um, you can take an action to get compensated if you've been the victim of whistleblower reprisal, which is a a big thing, really, Morris, because if you go back to your time in in from '08 onwards, the mass of fear, and I think it's fair to say you experienced it, is what can be done to you if you decide to speak up against an organisation.
0: Yes, no, absolutely, Mick. And from from '08 to 2014, it was hard going, Mick. Now it was hard going. I had to watch my back and protect myself, but. I made the disclosure in 2014, and um, I don't know if everything changed after that, but as you know yourself, we had a Commission of Investigation and then the charging Tribunal. So, um, I mean, 12 years, Mick, I don't know. As I said before, if I had to know now, I might not have done it, Mick.
1: And I know this would be difficult, Morris, but if you put yourself in the shoes of somebody today who encountered a scenario like you did in 2008, just first of all, uh, from the point of view of the Protected Disclosure Act, do you think that, in the first instance, would make a big difference to them?
0: Well, I think yes, after all all that happened in my case, I think everybody now is going to be careful if there's a protected disclosure against an organisation or a department or a business. So uh, I, think, I think there's better protection now after all the people saw of what happened to me, you know?
1: Put yourself, say, back in '08, And if that law had been there then, do you think it would have been of much assistance to you?
0: It's hard to know, Mick, because when I met one in 2014, you know, they were still, still at me or trying to get me, as you know yourself. So it's hard to know, Mick. But I think I have the roadmap now and I think organisations and departments and businesses are going to be very, very, very careful. In going, I mean, going by that act, and I think it's gonna help anybody if the whistleblower.
1: And that's the thing. The um, what we're talking about the uh, the phenomenon called whistleblower reprisal. Right which is basically what, you know, it's, it's, it's well known all over the world in terms of what happens when somebody blows a whistle and legally this is supposed to prevent it. But as you say yourself, Morris, there's more than one way to skin a cat. I mean, if organisations of whatever you want to take reprisal against a whistleblower, uh, you know, and I've come across it myself in my work, you, you, you see they find different ways to do it and, you know, get around the lawn various ways too. It's easy
0: done, Mick. Yeah, it is easy done. But hopefully, it won't happen to anyone mate, again of what happened to me. And I think they're going to be careful, Nick. Everybody is going to be careful.
1: Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Morris, as I say, you have a reputation now, and it's, it's, it's nationally I, I, as the person who, who, um, who reported the malpractice in the Gardie. And you've become something of a national figure in that regard. And um, to that extent, do people contact you much saying, that are whistleblowers in, in whatever organisation, be it Gardier or other organisation, on the basis of your, of your profile?
0: Yeah, they do an awful lot now. After, um, after the O'Higgins Commission and especially the Chariton Tribunal, um, I had lots of people calling me up to my house or ringing me or emailing me. And make, it's hard to weed out the good and weed out, you know, the kind of the fake people. It's very hard to do it. But look at I gave them advice. I gave them advice to Transparency International. And um, that's really all I could do because I wasn't taking on anyone's case. I'm not qualified to do it, Nick. But I did give them advice on what to do and where to go. And that was it.
1: Well, that's all you could be expected to do, like, you know. But today, would you have had people, Morrison, I I suppose people... You, you, you live up in County Cavan in a pretty rural area would you have people who actually find out your address and make their way to your door?
0: Mick I have a woman who is living in Limerick and she arrived on a Sunday evening at the local shop in, in the village here she asked where I lived and wouldn't tell her but then she went out the road to her neighbour anyway but she landed up here anyway so she did from Limerick so she did for two hours and she was there for two hours with you? He was, yeah. be there for two hours, yeah.
1: Is that a bit of an imposition? Not just that one incident, but if, if there's a few like that, does it become, the, do you look out the window and see there's more coming kind of thing?
0: Uh, I don't know, Nick. At times, you might, but um, really in the form of letters and cards would be, you know, the main contact. It
1: would mainly be letters and cards. As you see, all you can do then is refer them on.
0: Yeah, refer them on, that's it, Nick. Because, I mean, I mean, look at, I've been at my case for 12 years, Mick. I'm exhausted. Really exhausted. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I typed thousands of documents and had to be 24-7 on the ball. And I'm glad it's all over, Mick.
1: Oh, you couldn't be expected to do any more than refer to mine.
0: Yeah.
1: And as well, Marston, in, in, in that vein, when you see people come up, and as you say, for example, in that instance, somebody two hours, and I'm sure people send you long letters, do you ever look at them and say... Well, I don't know, is this person really a whistleblower or, or, or what exactly is going on here, kind of thing?
0: Yeah, Mick, I would. And I, I'd be a good judge. And uh, I mean, I have looked at people and read letters. And you would say after, after reading certain letters, you know, that there's no case here whatsoever, you know. And you have to be honest with them, Do you know. Yes,
1: very much so, yeah. It's something else, though, when people keep keep coming to you uh, nearly, well, if I could put it this way, nearly on a pilgrimage, thinking that you might be able to work some magic for them.
0: The last people I had coming to me was at Christmas there. Now, their case was a genuine case now. And it took them a long time to come to me, but they were at at the final point, because I asked them, you know, what took them here, and they just said that they tried everything. But their case was completely genuine. So I gave them a small piece of advice on where to go to and they did it. So I I haven't heard since from them, you know. And they came to the house, Morris? Yeah, they came to the
1: house, yeah. Oh, very good, very good. Um, Yeah, it's a a strange setup, all right. But as you say, at this stage, you want to get back to, and, and you have, I suppose, to a large extent, to a bit of normality. I mean, you spent a number of years going into inquiries and tribunals and as you said yourself, I'd say you're nearly lost in a sea of documents at times, having to read up everything. You, you you can become consumed with it, I'd say.
0: Ah, yeah, Mick, and we absolutely were consumed. And I mean, apart from the documents, you'd be watching newspapers to see what articles had been written about you and all that, you know. But um, I'm happy now, I'm happy it's over, Mick, and I'm happy that I'm retired. And I'm just taking it very, very, very easy, Mick, you know because I haven't done anything, you know, to do 24-7 ever again, or even to work five days a week. I'll do my three days in my van, and I won't do any more.
1: Oh, you're dead right, yeah. One thing that strikes me in relation to Transparency International, Morris, as well, and that is um, the term corruption. As I said, people describe them as an anti-corruption body. And I think if I'm right, that even in the course of your case, this issue over what was Corruption came up that some people are under the impression that corruption is to the largest extent uh, for example somebody getting money for favors, but it's far wider than that isn't it
0: yeah, it is Mick. It's, it all depends on on the job on the organization or whatever you know but if you take one instance in relation to Anggarhana, if you falsified a document it's it, under on under on definition of corruption it's it so. But yet I was being told, no, this is not corruption. You know, but under the Garbage Economy,
1: as it is. Well, that's interesting because it, it's, and I've come across this as well, Mars, that in, in some sectors, it's nearly like uh, th- th- there's a localised uh, morality or what people consider to be corruption. Like, as you said, in that instance, like as you said, in that instance, for example, a lot of people I would suggest who are in the Guardian at, at that time and maybe even now wouldn't consider that corruption either. Similarly, for example, in in uh, in banks or the financial sector, some of the stuff that goes on there and once it's kept internally and it's not exposed to anybody outside it, people can comfort themselves in saying, Ah sure that's only a bit of wink and a nod and that you know, when it when a light when a light is shining it, it's shown that well, hold on now, that's a bit more than a wink and a nod. It's wrong. You know? It is, yeah, definitely. You know, and as, as you say, you came across you came across instances of that as well. Um, so you're looking forward to being patron for Transparency International.
0: I am, Mick, yeah. I'm looking forward to them. I sent an email back today that I would accept it and I thanked them and I'd give them all the assistance I can give them.
1: And as a result of everything you went through, Morris, you would have come across a lot of instances as we say as you say, like informally, people come to you for advice. Would you ever have any interest in getting involved on a full-time basis with any organisation that's any form of a watchdog or anything like that? Or are you at a stage where that's a bit much?
0: It is a bit much. Anymore. I couldn't, no, I, I couldn't see myself doing it because it would involve an awful lot of work, Making And after 12 years, no, I have had enough of it. I'm happy now here at home. And I couldn't I couldn't do it again, Mick. I just can't do it.
1: Yeah, to take to take a lot to get you out of County Cavan again. It's a it
0: would, yeah. <laughs> it definitely <laughs> wouldn't make. Yeah.
1: As I said, you you've grown children, Marson. I don't I don't think it has arisen, but hypothetically, if it did, if any of them said to you, you know, Dad, I'm kind of interested in joining the guards, what would your advice be?
0: Uh, my advice would be yes. Mick, it's a fantastic organization. And it's a great organisation. And when I see them reading on the news, they're doing the checkpoints, talking to people and doing it right. It's great. It is a great organisation. There was a few bad apples there at the time. But I mean, I, I support our uh, garage 100%. And they always did. And a few bad apples everywhere. But.
1: Oh, definitely. There's no question about that. And I suppose in, in, in the same vein, um, if you were 18, 19 years of age again, You'd still go into it.
0: Yeah, I would. And I mean, if my son wanted to go in, her daughter they said, Look, I'm thinking of joining the guards, I'd say, Yeah, go ahead. It is a great job, Nick, if you do it right, but it is a great job. It was interesting. Always something different every day, you know.
1: Absolutely, as you say. And, and as you say, Morris, the, the, the bulk of people there um, have the best of intentions and the people who want to work and they want to do the right thing. But a lot of it, particularly in terms of what you ran into, was, I would suggest, a, a culture that was there that, to some extent, if things weren't being done right, turn a blind eye rather than creating any sort of a controversy or anything that might reflect badly.
0: Yes, Mick, uh, but I wouldn't say that's going to happen again. Drew Harris, as you know, he's the garden Commissioner now. I think under him, Mick, I think the job is changing for all the better.
1: He called, up, he called up to you, didn't he, soon after he, he started the job?
0: He did. He called up to me for a, an hour one evening and I expressed all, all my concerns in the job and my views and he had the same views, mate. But you know something, mate? It may take him 10 years, you know, overall, to leave on Garda Shekinah an excellent police force. It's, it's hard to know if he can do it in five. He is doing his best, as you know, but it may take 10 years. And that's my view. It's
1: turning a ship around, really, when you're tackling a culture. The, the, the bad aspects of the culture, and as you say yourself, there's plenty of good aspects to the Garda culture. But the, the, those negative aspects, it takes a while to get that mentality changed. It does,
0: mate. Yeah, it certainly
1: does. And just another thing then, Marcy, the start of your problems were, were when you were based in Baileyborough, which I think is about 20 miles away from where you live. Yes, yeah. Does the town hold anything for you there? Do you have any particular attitudes towards it?
0: No, I loved working there and making Bar. Absolutely, for the public. The public in Bar were fantastic. And I mean, I got numerous letters of support after charging tribunal. Numerous. And it, it was great to get them. You know? You said yourself,
1: if you were back there, it was 2008 and you had to make a decision in terms of bringing to public attention what you regard as malpractice or, or, or shoddy work. Yeah. Knowing what you know now, Morris, would you do it again?
0: Mick, I wouldn't do it again. And I'll tell you why. It's 12 years is a long time. I mean, I thought when I reported all these in 2008, they'd be over in six months. But 12 years is an awful long time. Huge time, do you know? So that's why, Mick, I wouldn't do it again, no. I wouldn't. There was a lot of lows during that time too, I think. A lot of lows. An awful lot. More lows than highs. But look it. I don't look back at home, mate. I can't look back in anger. If you hear, if you hear the song, uh, I can't look back in anger, no. I look forward.
1: Well, that's a good sign. That's a good sign, Morris. And uh, are you looking forward to getting back out on the road now?
0: Yeah, it, it'll probably be maybe August or September, I'd say, before I'm back out. But I am looking forward to it. You know, but there's bits and pieces to be done around the houses, you know.
1: Yeah, are you any good around the house?
0: A bit of gardening.
1: Right. <laughs> you wouldn't be a great man for the
0: domestic chores, would you? Uh, oh, I would, yeah. Ask her in, she'd tell you I would be, yeah. Absolutely. Make it, in relation to TI, transparency, there's a GoFundMe page on their website. And they ask them for 50000 And I, I, I would recommend, if anyone has a spare euro or two, Go on the website and sign in and pay it over because, Mick, it's for whistleblowers and it's free legal advice, so it is, for all whistleblowers, for anyone.
1: And that's the crucial element to it, isn't it? It's, it
0: is free legal advice. Yes, it is, Mick, it is. Completely free. And I think if they got to 50,000, it'd be great. And one of the
1: elements to it being free, I think as well, Morris, is that you could if you are going for legal advice to some people, you could run into a scenario, for example, where a legal practitioner or a solicitor sees this and possibly might see money signs or the possibility of bringing in action and fees and whatever. This is a very different scenario in that you're going in there and you're getting the free legal advice and the basis of what you should do, which I think is very crucial because there's no question of a conflict of interest then.
0: Absolutely, Mick, And I forgot to mention that point. You're absolutely true. It's it, it's for free legal advice and and also and if if the solicitor in TI Transparency International if if the law section in there you know after hearing your case that you have a case they'll also help you in, in relation to protective disclosure and that's all free it's a great service It is and as well as, well as being free as you,
1: as you said yourself to somebody who can find themselves in a dark place or in a place where there is no shoulder to lean on that of itself can be a, a, a vital help, as I think you found out.
0: Yes, it can Mick. yeah. Yeah, I found it out. I met them in, in 2012 and I was with John so much for three years, off and on, meetings. Well, Morris, we're glad you came
1: through it and you're looking forward to the future, getting back on the road and your role as patron in Transparency International Ireland. Morris McCabe, thank you very much for joining us
0: today. And just one more point, Mick, if it's okay with you. The Irish Examiner and yourself are excellent over the eight years. And thanks very much, Mick, again, and the Irish Examiner especially.
1: Okay, Morris, listen, and thank you. And as I say, I think anybody who's come into touch with you over that period, they, they didn't have to see very long to see how genuine you were and how, if you don't mind me saying, on the ball you were, which um, isn't necessarily always the case. But, Maurice, thanks very much for joining us today. I'd like to thank our engineer JJ Vernon on sound. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify and all of the usual platforms. Let me know what you think at mick.clifford at examiner.ie or on Twitter at, at mickcliff. See you soon, folks.